Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Yes, we are still in operation. And to quote Hank Pym from the beginning of Ant-Man, yes, I'm still alive. I think I might have used that reference uh, last year when I got behind on recording again, but it's so good and it's so appropriate that I couldn't help but uh, use it again. Um, Anyway, I'm very thankful for each of you in your graciousness and your understanding in my being a bit behind these past couple weeks. Uh, If ever there was a time I needed to just take a break from podcasting for a short while, it was these past two weeks. Um, I've been kind of running around doing a bit of everything, and as a result, I have a lot of things to update you guys on before we get into today's interview. Uh, But first of all, I just want to lead off by, again, saying thank you for your understanding and for your patience. Uh, I predict from now on we'll be, uh, again, at least for the time being, on our regular uh, programming schedule, so an episode every Monday and Friday. And uh, again, just thank you guys so much for your understanding. I really appreciate you. And the reason that I have been a bit um, absent uh, from from the podcast here in the past couple of weeks, uh, there are a few reasons. Uh, for one, we're nearing the end of our semester here at, at, at my college. Uh, this is our last full week of classes, and we have a half a week um, next week, and then our final exams start on Thursday. I believe Thursday. I should probably look into that. And, and so uh, I appreciate your your prayers, your well wishes, your, your good um, thoughts, uh, whatever you'd like to offer uh, for me and my friends here as we prepare for final exams and projects. Uh, we would all really appreciate it. Uh, and it's a bit more busy for me than usual because uh, this is my senior year. I'm, I'm nearing graduation, as are many of my friends here at Georgetown, and we're uh, all getting ready to start the next chapter of our lives, whatever that looks like. I know a lot of folks who are going to law school, uh, including me, I'll get to that in a second, uh, graduate school of some kind, uh, beginning work, or um, just still figuring things out. So we're all at um, the the end of this chapter and the beginning of a neck of a new one, whatever that might look like. And so it's a bit more hectic than usual. And so that's one reason why I've been a bit away as I've been focusing on uh, getting those things ready and, and, and so forth. And speaking of the next chapter, I am very proud to announce, uh, for those of you who uh, follow me on, on social media, you, you've already seen this, but for those who haven't, I have committed to attending the University of Louisville Brandeis School of Law next year. And uh, I am just so, so thankful for this opportunity. I'm really excited to, to start school there. It, it'll be a bit of a transition. Uh, I've never lived in a city quite as... Uh, I've never lived in a city in general, I don't think. But uh, it'll be different than what I'm used to. But, you know, that's what life is about. Change is a good thing. Experiencing new things in general is good, whether that's in where you're living or or, or things like that. So I'm looking forward to uh, just something new, you know, to to kind of broaden my idea of, of what life is like here in Kentucky. Louisville is our I think our biggest city, it's one of, it's if it's not the biggest, it's the second biggest city. Uh, probably should know that since I've lived here my whole life, but, you know, I live on the other end of the state. Um, but I just want to thank everybody out there for your continued support, your well wishes, uh, everything that you all have done to help me along this 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 road. Uh, I, I can't begin to thank you enough. I went through a lot of times in my life, uh, including, I mean, even just last year, when I wasn't sure that I would ever make it to this point, that I would be able to go to law school. Uh, it's been a dream of mine for a long time. Uh, but you know, there were times where I, when I doubted if I would ever make it. And to know that I had you know, people like you all 
uh, in my corner encouraging me and, and helping me to believe that it would happen, it, it really did make a lot of difference. And I, I could not have done this without you guys. And I hope that I can continue doing you proud uh, when I'm in law school. I will. I do plan to uh, continue the podcast. Then, you know, this will obviously might have to change up scheduling with how busy I'll be in in uh, in my studies. You know, this is going to be probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But uh, it's it's worthwhile and it's it's worth doing. And, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I, I, I'm going to just try to put out as much content as I can uh, now and then, whatever that looks like. But uh, I just wanted to give you guys that update. And uh, thank you again for all that you guys have done to help me along this path. Uh, and another update as I near my the end of my time here at Georgetown. And I made a po- post about this on the podcast social media as well. Uh, I have just completed work on my undergraduate honors thesis. It's a it's a paper that's kind of just like the last big project that I'll do here at Georgetown. It's part of the uh, graduation requirements for our honors program. And the thesis title is Peace, Honor, and Human Dignity, How New Deal Labor Law Changed Eastern Kentucky and Can Do So Again. I know, very, very out of character for me to write about anything like that, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, this has uh, been a long time... Uh, in the works, I'd started thinking about what I wanted to write this thesis on uh, two years ago, and I'm very proud of the final product. I, I think that I uh, have done some good work, and I could not have done this at all without the help of my thesis advisor, Professor Andrew Adler here at Georgetown. Uh, he listens to the podcast, and so I wanted to make sure that he had his proper due um, whenever he listens to this episode. Uh, thank you, Andrew, for all that you've done to help me out uh, in, in this process. It could not have happened without you, and I really appreciate you. And also, uh, if she ever hears this, I know she listens to podcasts from time to time. I don't know if she's listened to mine, but Dr. Melissa Shire from our uh, political science department, she's serving as my second reader. I really appreciate her insights as well. And to everybody who, again, uh, encouraged me in this process, it was really difficult. It ended up being 83 or 84 pages, uh, more than I anticipated, but I'm very proud of the final product. And uh, I am working on how I can share this with you guys if you have interest in reading it. I'm still working that out, but uh, I just wanted to give you guys a few updates on uh, my uh, journey here and my life over this last little bit uh, to both explain why I've been away and also to just give you guys an idea of how I'm moving from this chapter of my life to the next one and to thank you guys again for all of your your support and your encouragement. So that brings us to today's interview. Uh, I am so glad to bring you all this uh, chat that I had with Courtney Rhodes. Courtney is the lead black lung organizer for the Appalachian Citizens Law Center based out of Whitesburg, Kentucky, in Letcher County, just over the mountain from Harlan. Uh, I'm sure probably a few of you who are listening uh, from that area are familiar uh, with the ACLC and the work that they do. Uh, I, I won't go into too much because Courtney does a much better job of, un, of explaining the breadth of their operations than I could hear. Uh, and so I'll just give you a bit of a, an idea of what they do. They work in advocating for safety, healthcare, uh, education initiatives for uh, working people throughout uh, Appalachia, as well as on environmental concerns relating to the land and the people who live on it. And so I am very glad to bring you guys this conversation that I had with Courtney uh, around a a lot of different, we touch on a lot of different subjects in her work with the ACLC, but uh, one of the main things that we talk about is her work in organizing uh, efforts of advocacy for folks who suffer from black lung. And if you're from eastern Kentucky or if you're from West Virginia or another community where 
uh, uh, mining is prevalent as a, as a form of industry. You're probably familiar with black lung or some form of it. And uh, I'll let Courtney explain the details of it and her work in helping folks with this condition to uh, get their benefits and, and to achieve a, a better standard of living for themselves um, that, they, that they deserve and that they need. Uh, but black lung is essentially a respiratory condition uh, caused by the inhalation of a lot of different material in, in mining practices, uh, specifically coal in, in eastern Kentucky and other places that mine that resource. And uh, it's just absolutely a terrible thing to live with. I, I know several people who have relatives afflicted with that condition, and it's just an awful sight to see. And uh, especially so given the really just appalling lack of uh, resources that a lot of folks with this condition are facing. And that's one of the things that the ACLC and that Courtney tried to center their efforts around in helping folks without the resources they need to um, uh, combat this condition to, to do so. And, you know, at the end of the day, all of the things that Courtney and I talk about in this interview and all the work that the ACLC does it's about the right to breathe. You know, these are people who worked in these mines who, you know, were just trying to make a living to uh, provide for themselves and their families and who, as a result, provided a lot of the energy that folks all across the country used. And they are, a lot of the times, not receiving the care that they need and that they deserve as human beings. And, you know, Courtney and I touch on this point as well. So much of that lack of resources comes from um, structural design of uh, uh, economic and social conditions in these uh, communities across eastern Kentucky and Appalachia and elsewhere that that have similar uh, uh, stories as ours of uh, companies who wielded enormous power in making sure that they controlled the resources and that they controlled access to, to certain things. And as a result, working people, as they often are, were left out of the conversation and were not uh, uh, given the, the place of making decisions that they should have had from, from the beginning. And that led to a lot of uh, efforts with union organizing, as I've talked with others on the podcast before. And it's uh, still an important part of the story now as we as we deal with uh, transitioning away from fossil fuels to to other kinds of industries. Uh, issues of health and safety and, and um, uh, taking care of workers are going to be at the forefront of uh, uh, discussions in Appalachia and, and daily life in Appalachia as we go forward. And so I was really glad to talk to Courtney about what her work with the ACLC looks like in that area. And uh, again, I'll let her explain it in more detail. Um, she does it far better than I ever could here. And so I just wanted to um, shed a light on this important part of the story in eastern Kentucky, A lot of something that a lot of folks uh, have lived with all their lives and know about growing up, black lung, but something that, you know, if you're not from the area or not from a region that's similar to Appalachia, uh, you might not know about. And so I just wanted to uh, talk to Courtney about her efforts and the ACLC's efforts around this. And so I really hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Before I forget, make sure to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform that you listen on, Apple, Spotify, or Google, or what have you. Uh, let me know what you like and what I might could change. Uh, just let me know what you think. And again, thank you guys for understanding my absence these past couple weeks. Thank you for tuning in today, and I look forward to all the episodes to come. Let's get into it. Courtney, again, thank you so much for your your time and being on today. Um, 
I, uh, uh, as I just told you, I'm uh, familiar uh, with your group and the work that you all are doing. Uh, but it's great to finally get a chance to talk to somebody who's connected to to events so directly as you are. And uh, for the folks who are listening, I, I just want to give you the these first few moments here to introduce yourself, talk about uh, how you became involved with with this group, uh, the work that you all do, and anything else you'd like to say to uh, start us off. Go right ahead. The floor is yours. Yeah. Um, so my name is Courtney Rhodes Mullins. I am the Black Lung Organizer at Appalachian Citizens Law Center based in Whitesburg, Kentucky. Um, I um, am not from Kentucky. I am originally from North Carolina. I come um, and I will say that my my interest really comes from the fact that I've dealt with disabilities a lot of my life. My mom has um, been on social security disability for the majority of her life, for the majority of my life. And so growing up in a culture where you really have to understand, um, you really have to understand, okay, this isn't going to be feasible and like trying to map out things and, and, and understanding that the systems just are really broken for people like that right. um, really made my interest. Um, my focus mostly in school was in pre-med and I quickly, after working in the emergency room for several years, decided I did not want to be a doctor, but I was much more interested on more the public health community organizing side of things. Um, I graduated with my master's in app studies from East Tennessee State and um, have to be sure to include them. Right. <laughs> and um, with my focus being in actually free clinics and understanding what happened after the Affordable Care Act to people that were remained uninsured, especially in, in Tennessee. And so when I was applying for jobs, I had kind of been working in the nonprofit sector. I always knew I wanted to work in the nonprofit sector. And my grad advisor sent me a listing for the Black Lung Organizer at ACLC. And I applied and I was like, I'm not going to get it. I'm not from Kentucky. I'm not, you know, like it's a very small town. Like a lot of people, I was like, I have no experience with Black Lung outside of what I've studied in grad school. Um, but I did get it. And that was almost four years ago now. And I'm, I'm so blessed. Um, there's really, I, I mean, I can obviously brag. I, I've worked at ACLC for four years and I'm really proud of the fact that just the work that we do. Um, but it's also just the people behind it. And I'm not right. talking about myself, but like my boss and and there's so much heart in there and just the care for that. But then also the people that I get the blessing of getting to work with every day. So retired coal miners, widows of coal miners, um, their wives, especially. So I, I get a very just people who are so welcoming to me, especially as someone who had no background in coal mining. Um, who whatever I learned, I learned in a textbook or in reading or in videos. And so right. to come into a community who was willing to teach me and in a way that I thought was I was very cautious about because I also know there's been a bad history in Appalachia of people coming in trying to fix everything and I was very cautious about that and I will have to say it was a very trusting experience and, and I'm sure some of that has to do with you know having ACLC behind my introduction but I'm also just forever thankful for the folks that do talk to me every day. Absolutely. I'm in a, an Appalachian sociology class right now, and that's one theme that is just reoccurring in all that you read about the region is that you, know, you have people who um, a lot of the times are very well-intentioned, but like you said, come in and try to you know fix air quotes around that everything. And um, you know what you find is that there's often a lacking of involvement with the direct community and the members of the community itself in talking about those solutions. And And you all are taking the exact opposite approach and the right approach in dealing in individually with people themselves who've lived here and know um, better than anybody else the obstacles that they're facing. And and so that's just 
that's great work that that you all are doing in, in that respect. Um, actually, so uh, I, before I forget, did you um, uh, I'm sure did you know Dr. Ron Roach at ETSU? I do. Yeah, I, I interviewed him. Uh, uh, gosh, a while ago for for one of my earlier episodes. He's he's a he's he's great to talk to. I had to uh, if he ever hears this, I just want to make sure we give him a shout out too. <laughs> <laughs> he was on my grad committee, um, so he asked some really hard questions when I was to defend my thesis. Um, but he's phenomenal. I've, uh, I, I had a great, I will say, um, for the program, I will have to kind of brag on the program. It's a very small program and I, I would not be the organizer or community person or, um, individual that I am today doing the work that I do without ETSU and the app studies program. Um, so I'll always give them that, um, I'll always give them that shout out. Yeah. They're, they're, they're phenomenal. Um, so, so, uh, tell us a little bit or, uh, says if there's more than one person in here, uh, t- <laughs> tell me tell me a little bit about the the uh, individual projects that that you all work and maybe not that, but what does programming and organizing in your organization look like in terms of uh, black lung or, or other uh, matters that y'all are uh, involved with in Eastern Kentucky? Yeah, so ACLC is very unique. Um, so we're technically a nonprofit law firm. So we do obviously litigation. The majority of our litigation is actually around helping individuals get their federally black lung claim or black lung benefits. Um, we do not charge anyone. Um, whatever fees we receive is actually like from the coal company, and it's something that's written into the law that they have to pay. Right. Um, and so because of the way that we're structured, we also have the opportunity to do advocacy and organizing. Um, and so we do, you know, we also have some litigation around mine safety and environmental work. And so a little bit of our advocacy is also focused on. Um, so we have someone who looks into reclaiming mines and abandoned mine lands and has done a lot of work on that. Um, and then we also have folks like me who focus on, I say folks like we're huge, it's really just um but there then we also have a side where we solely look at things like black lung and mine safety so a great example of that would be the black lung excise tax that we were able to get passed last year um and the majority of my work really is actually focused on the black lung organization or the black lung associations so um there are groups that started right around the time that this these laws came in in the 60s that um, they were called the Black Lung Associations. They came out of the UMWA that solely were fighting for Black Lung benefits right. because in the 1960s, which seems so far away, and yet I'm still talking about Black Lung <laughs> and fighting for benefits. Right. Um, there was these groups that formed trying, and, and these are like those huge images by Earl Daughter that you'll see um, of people sitting on like Capitol Hill with like Black Lung kills and things like that. Right. Um, and so what has happened over time is that, you know, there's been like weird shifts, um, especially as the law was modified for black lung benefits. But a lot of these groups started to resurface um, in the early 2000s, particularly when uh, progressive massive fibrosis started getting bad um, and the numbers started going up in that. And so I work with groups specifically, um, I travel every single week to groups either in Virginia or in Kentucky. but we also work remotely with groups that are in West Virginia. And then we also work with the National Black Lung Association, which is basically the group for all of those regional groups. Right. Um, and so I really look at my position as I am there to provide them with any of this advocacy, understanding and education. I'm there to also connect them to folks who are doing a lot of this work. So folks like Dr. Brandon Crum has come and talked. 
Um, and, and also we've had some folks come in and talk about just the benefits process because it is very complicated because in, in theory, you know, you can actually apply yourself, um, but you're going to still be going most likely against a law firm for a very fancy um, law firm for a coal company or a coal insurance company. Right. And so a lot of times people don't realize how, how tricky those questions can be. And so we really try to advocate for folks, whether, you know, I'm not saying come to me, but I am saying go see someone um, to get your benefits and help you through that process because there's just really, it's you get discouraged because you are fighting large companies with lots of money. Um, and so they have the ability to appeal you a lot. And, and it's just always important to kind of keep that hope going. And so that's kind of what we do by trying to bring in these guest speakers of, Providing them additional education, but also providing them with, you know, the resources to understand our process it really is sitting back and listening to what they have an interest in. And so a lot of our work from there has turned into organizing events around different things. So we did a big event um, calling out Senator Manchin. Um, and that actually went somewhere. Um, but a lot of these events that we hold or these, you know, lobby meetings that we go to or lobby meetings that we set up and do through Zoom like this, um, since we're still kind of regulated to that, is because the group has an interest and they want to continue to fight for their benefits or for improved mine safety regulations for current workers. Right. And uh, that's such an that's such an important uh, aspect to it. And specifically uh, the point that you raised on how so much of this can be traced back to the uh, the, the 60s and, and earlier when efforts around uh, organizing around these issues first emerged and like you like you said it's it's still an important this the same battles are still being fought over over access to benefits and and just general safety as well and so it's important to continue that struggle absolutely uh, w one thing I did want to ask is you know I most of the people I think listening are from some part of Kentucky or or the Appalachian region, so they probably have an idea. But for anybody who's listening who may not know what black lung is, what definition would you give yeah. for? Because I I don't know if there's a standard uh, condition that it's associated with or or anything like that. So how how would you define it to give folks an understanding of what it is that the that these organizing efforts are kind of anchored around for the miners? Yeah. Um, so I guess the simplest definition would be black lung is essentially just a respiratory disease that is caused by the inhalation of coal dust. Or I'll also say it's a very complicated disease because it has a medical and a legal uh, definition. Right. Um, but I, I what is also interesting about it is on the medical side of it there, you know, when you consider what black lung is, there's diagnoses like progressive massive fibrosis or COPD or you know, there's so many different, and a lot of times it depends on what, you know, the doctor you're going to, but there's so many deficits that can happen. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I'm always telling people, it's so important to go to a physician that you know is fighting for black lung benefits or someone that you know is on the side of where they want to see you get the care that you need or the the benefits that you're going to need because this is a very expensive disease. Most of these men are going to end up on oxygen. Um, some of these men are going to require a lung transplant. Right. And, and, you know, especially now that it's happening in minors as early as their thirties and forties, mm. um, that that's a, you know, that is so important to go get the correct diagnosis because we've had folks come in and be like, I was diagnosed with lung cancer at first. 
because there's, the, you know, looking at an x-ray, and I am not a doctor, but looking at an x-ray, they do present very similar. It's just based on, you know, you have to have a very well-trained bee reader, um, which is actually a trained pulmonologist or radiologist who goes in and gets trained for specifically reading black blood. Oh, okay. Um, but essentially, you know, the the overall definition of it is simply a respiratory disease that is caused by coal dust or silica dust or any type of dust you can breathe in the bodies. Right. So uh, what are some of the um, uh, more recent or ongoing projects that you all have going on related to uh, making access to benefits easier or making sure that benefits, the systems of benefits for those affected by black lung last into the future or uh, issues related to mine safety? What are some of the contemporary projects that you all have going on to to organize around and fight for those those benefits and those those resources and things? Yeah. Um, so obviously, I think I don't want to go without like calling out a huge victory, which was the excise tax passing that would support the Black Lung Benefits Improvement Act. Essentially, what happened was in 2018, it was able to fall down, and this is a tax that is solely put onto coal companies, and the tax is applied to um, a ton of coal um, that is being traded dom domestically. It does not apply for anything that's traded um, overseas, but anything that in domestically comes in that is used domestically that they're going to um, apply to this tax. And what happened was in 2018, it was halved. Um, in better sense of the word. And what we already knew was that a significant amount of coal companies were bankrupting. We also knew that there was a significant amount of people getting diagnosed with black lung and we're reliant on that trust fund now. Um, and then the other thing is, is like that trust fund is so important because this is a very lengthy process. Um, oftentimes you'll get diagnosed, you'll go sign up for benefits, you'll have a hearing, and then you'll wait several years depending on you know, so many things, particularly with the pandemic and everything shifted right. into this kind of online format. We've had folks waiting, you know, it's very uncommon for, it's not at all uncommon for me to get calls and people be like, heard anything from that lawyer of yours? And I'm like, right. well, you know, this is what's going on. I'll check in for you, but this is what's going on. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, you know, it is a very frustrating process, but I think understanding the importance of that trust fund, which is the fact that folks who kind of the DOL, you know, when you go for that exam, the DOL says you have black lung. The importance of that is that from then the DOL says, okay, they have black lung. They're starting to receive those benefits, even though they're still in the process of trying to, whether, you know, if you've, you're a trust fund case, you're kind of in there. But if you're going up against a coal company, you will have a lengthier trial. Um, but at that time, when the DOL says you have black lung, you're able to access that medical card that is so needed to get the you know treatment that you need, but also to access things like respiratory therapy, which we know long you know causes longevity of life as well because you're you know exercising your lungs right in a protective way. Um, so you know that was a huge win, and it was also something that we spent majority of our time during the pandemic working on, and for us to get that victory. <laughs> Also, for us to hear about it the night before the flooding that happened in Kentucky, it was kind of right. like, oh, well, you know, well, this is good, but this is horrible at the right. same time. And so we had such a delayed celebration of that event um, just because of everything that happened later on that that day. Um, but now that, you know, now that we have that excise tax, something that we're really noticing is that 
Um, and, and this is so prevalent for everyone. Inflation is high. Um, and, you know, what's so important about this funding is that, you know, the medical card is great. That is what that is the majority of why folks go get it. They get right. their medical benefits for life. But in addition to that, you receive benefits for um, a single minor. It's a little over seven hundred dollars. And for a couple, it's a little over eleven hundred a month. That is nothing. Like that, right. as someone has told me, that is a car payment, a little bit of groceries, and that's it. Yeah. And with inflation going anywhere between six to eight percent, one of our biggest fights right now is trying to get that increased, especially since we know that there are younger miners who are retired having to come out of the coal mines sooner than ever. Right. And that are not able to apply for things like, you know, their regular social security because they don't meet the age limit for that. Right. And so we're our, one of our biggest conversations right now that we're having is trying to get that increase. And we've had some great partners um, on the Hill that have been also trying to do some work on that. The other thing, um, and this is something that's been in the works, honestly, since I was in high school, <laughs> but um, the one thing we know is, you know, a lot of what we're seeing in the increase in PMF and black lung and complicated black lung and younger minors is related to the silica dust exposure that they are experiencing. Um, You know, we don't no longer hear, we no longer hear in Kentucky or West Virginia or Virginia really have that gold mine that's just right there and easy to get that coal. It's a lot more of cutting into rock and opening up older mines and going into further. And, and, you know, I've had my guys tell me they spent eight hours cutting into a rock and, you know, here they are 40 something. And now they're incredibly sick looking at possibly getting into a low transplant. And so one of the things that we've really been working with MSHA is trying to get a better regulation because at the moment coal miners are um, exposed to the highest amount of silica dust. So MSHA sets the standard for any type of miner, whereas OSHA sets the standard for anyone else. And OSHA's standard is actually lower than MSHA's. And so okay. we are working our way on trying to get a lower standard and a lower exposure rate for these miners. Because until, you know, things like cheating on samples is something that we recognize as a reality. Um, but until there is a lower rate, we don't expect to see any type of, at least then there is some type of standard to where um, there will be maybe hopefully less exposure, even if, you know, they are going over that rate. And so that that's really been important for us because, and, and actually I'll say this too, it's really important for the folks that work in the National Black Lung Association or who are in these regional groups, because a lot of them have family members that are in the coal mines. Um, I've got a miner right now who, he has progressive massive fibrosis and his son, and he's relatively, maybe in his early 60s, so not not, you know, someone that you would expect to be as sick as he is. Right. And his son just qualified for a program called Part 90, which means that essentially he was found to have some black lung and now he is going to be taken away from the majority of that dust if possible. Um, and that's a great program, something that a lot of people don't know about that's set up through DOL and MSHA. But his son now is 41 and just found out that he has early stages of black lung. And that is you know, that changes someone's whole life trajectory. Right. That changes how long you're going to work. That changes the type of jobs. You know, if he's ever out of that job, he's worried now that he'll never get hired again. Um, and so a lot of these miners really want to see a decrease in the standard because they don't want any future miners. And, you know, some of them don't have any folks working in the mines. 
a lot of them just know I'm incredibly sick and I don't want to see someone else as sick as I am. I don't want to see someone else experience, you know, what it's like to not be able to walk from your front door to your mailbox. Right. Exactly. Without, you know, gasping. Um, and, and I think that's a, it's such a, it's such a reminder of humankind. I think sometimes like it's so heartwarming to hear these guys who, you know, a lot of times are struggling just to get these statements out, express how much they need to change, not for themselves because, you know, they can't, they can't go back, but for the miners that are currently working. Right. It's really, you know, even these guys that have, or in these ladies that have had to come out early, it is such a brotherhood and sisterhood of a family for those coal miners. And I mean, people that didn't even work together um, and they, they just, you get them in a room together and it's something different that you never experience anywhere else. Um, and so it's, it's always so heartwarming to hear them talk about that. And I, I just think it's always really important to highlight the fact that like, this is really important to us because we are sick of seeing sick coal miners, but it's also so important to them because not because it doesn't benefit them at all. You know, it's, it's such an altruistic thing for them to be working on. Right. And you know, that, that, that com that camaraderie, it is, it, it's one of the, it's one of the things that I always tell people I'm so <clears throat> proud of, not just folks in Eastern Kentucky uh, in Appalachia, but, you know, working people in general, regardless of where you are, there, there is that sense of shared uh, struggles in facing the same kind of obstacles. And it produces, as you said, just such a clear picture of the best of who we are just as people uh, and mm -hmm. and working as a community to just make things better for the people who really, really need that help. And and that's exactly the kind of work that I, um, I'm sure that you all are engaged in and that I know that you're engaged in. And I'm curious, how have you seen in the in the years that you've been working there the community, whether it's in it's in whether it's in Whitesburg or or in other places that you've been to and, and are working, uh, what are some examples of how you've seen the community coalesce around the people that you're advocating for? I think it's very clear in the way that it's hard for me to describe this, but it's oftentimes very clear in the way that it's it's almost so common to see someone walking around with a like an oxygen tank that like right. a portable oxygen tank nowadays um, right. especially in our community like that is so common that sometimes you you don't forget about it but i i think that something that's always reminiscent to me is is when how people come together in moments like that so like we'll do a call out for um various you know like something that we're working on is the town hall right now and we've had a lot of interest in trying to get folks out for that um and and a lot of also is just like people wanting to have these guys come and talk or meet um and and i sorry i'm kind of floundering <laughs> no 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 you're okay but i it, it's hard to describe it but i i think that there's a lot of respect for a lot of these coal miners yeah. in in the community in ways that if you if you don't picture it or like experience it there's it's really hard to describe it but in a way of how and it, it's as simple as like going into a meeting and them having their like daughter or son with them um and in having an interest like we've got some guys who are raising some grandkids and they'll bring them to a meeting and they have right. so much interest in like not only like the government process in a way that you'll never learn in a civics classroom in a high school, but 
so much interest in like, this affects my family and like, how do I make a change? And I think that's so great. Like, it's also like, we have a lot of, um, and I guess this is more directly than just, but you have a lot of folks who have family members who have experienced black lung now working in VIX, like the clinics. So like those black lung federally funded clinics, a lot of them have family members that are experiencing black lung. And so I, I think it's very reminiscent. And you have, I, I've heard of several doctors speaking of this too, is that you almost have a lot of family members, you know, younger kids who could graduate and leave staying because they want to stay and take care of that family member or be there and provide for that family member because they know that their benefits aren't enough. Um, and so I, I think there's a real reality of the fact that our community is so directly impacted by Black Lung. Right. Like you... I mean, it's it's even hard for someone like me. Like, obviously, I know several people with Black Lung because I work with the Black Lung Associations. But even prior to me moving here, I knew people with Black Lung. Um, and, and even like in my own, you know, in my in-laws, there's people with Black Lung. And so it's it's such a direct correlation for anyone in this area. And sometimes it's talked about in a way, I think sometimes we have a history. And I'm sorry, as a sociology background, you would understand this. I have noticed it with ethnography um, when I was in grad school, but I think sometimes we have a way of like, this is such a reality for us. We're okay with it. But right. then there's those people that it clicks where they're like, no, this isn't okay. And that's right. the people that we pull in and, and having conversations like this where and kind of addressing that and having these groups are so beneficial because then you're educating folks who have the disease, but also then they can go to that family member that's like, oh, it's just so normal for all of us to have black lung and right. them to be like, no, it's not like we could do something. About it. And so you get a lot of like organic conversations happening in a way that you really wouldn't have if you weren't providing, you know, if if you just have someone come get their benefits, that's that's great. That's what I want. I want them to get the medical care they need, right, right. but to get them further educated on not only like how to ensure that they can have a longevity about new prescriptions that might help them about what their disease actually is about, you know, the policy, because I think that's something people don't realize there's this policy is so shaky. And so having so many educational options for them and opportunities and then having that kind of go out into the community kind of leads to more coming like conversations and so then when we do like these large draws so we'll do town halls or signing or you know things like that we get a good turnout not only because you know aclc has a good reputation but because you're having these organic conversations out there right that is one of the most important uh um... Trying to think of the right way to put it. I, I I flounder all the time. Uh, like on, <laughs> you're, you're, I wasn't you're, ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, that that is how real change has to come about through, especially. And I love the point that you raised of people who may not be from exactly the same background that we are, learning about the struggles of someone, for instance, with black lung, and being that person to say, "This isn't normal," and mm -hmm. this is not what you should be expecting in terms of of how you're you're living your life you deserve better than this and it's that way of building solidarity with other people of communities building solidarity with each other that is the the basis for pushing to to make real change happen just like you said and and you guys are just such great examples of of doing that kind of work and not only making sure that people have resources to um, get these benefits and these other resources that they 
that they need through the legal system, but also in organizing around pushing forward that kind of change to make sure that this doesn't stay the norm, that people don't expect mm -hmm. to have to live with the effects of black lung to the point where it just denigrates their life to such an extent. And and I, I'm really I'm and that's one reason that like I hope that folks who listen in on this episode, especially those who may not be from Kentucky or a community with a similar uh, experience with something like black lung are able to, to, to build that kind of sympathy and empathy and ultimately solidarity with. And, uh, as we, we close out here, uh, I'd love to ask, what are some ways that folks who are listening in, who are interested in the work that you guys are doing, what are some of the ways that folks can be involved with that and, and help further that? Yeah. Um, so I'll start by simply saying, I think it's a very real reality that we have several, you know, work-related diseases in the U.S. that sometimes get played off as like, this is normal and it's going to get settled and it'll be fine. But I think having the reality of like, this was a disease that was caught as early as the late 1800s. And now, you know, we've had miners fighting for it in the 1960s, which is really hard to believe, but that was over 50 years ago now. Right. And so I think recognizing the fact that someone should be able to go to a workplace and not come out sick is a very real reality. And we live in the United States. And like, to me, it is insane to me that we live in a country that is supposedly developed. And yet we have folks going in and providing. And, you know, these are folks, too, that provided the majority of the electricity that is funding and, and that is being used in these larger communities. Absolutely. And and so, you know. And I think the other thing, too, that is so reminiscent is that we had this major flood and we had several of our miners impacted. And it's right. simply because, you know, these coal companies came in, they built these communities, they decided where those houses went. So yep. they went near the coal mine, near the river. Yeah. So then you have years of issues where you've deforested or you've not correctly closed up a mine or... Right. You know, you've not reclaimed that mine. And then we have these major thousand year floods that then leave, you know, several, you know, thousands of people homeless. And so I think a really great, obviously, I, I'll plug in like our Facebook page. We're always trying to stay up on what we're doing there. We're hoping to soon launch an Instagram, which I'm very excited about and try to do kind of like a day in an organizer's life and some other of our work. So be on a lookup. But I, I think just going to our Facebook page at the moment and then at the same time, if you are from Eastern Kentucky or Southwest Virginia, or even if you're not and you kind of have a tie here, I think continuing having these conversations. You know, there was a recent study that showed that modern miners are more likely to be susceptible to CWP, to COPD, lung cancer, any of, and, and pass away from these issues. And so having the reality that like, obvious, like we've known and having the research that, you know, it's very clear that miners are getting sicker than they've ever been before, they're younger than they've ever been before, and now more are passing away than they ever have. And I just think having these conversations is so important and just keep having these conversations. Keep, you know, and not just about coal mining. There's so many other, you know, industries that are doing the same. And, and right. I feel like I'm standing on my soapbox kind of like, fix the no, world. It's okay. we, but... we, no, we, we support <laughs> the soap soapboxing on this podcast. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, until people understand how how susceptible, how often this disease and how much it's impacting these communities. You know, I think there's so much of communi communication around how do we make Appalachia economically stable again, because it was all based on this one industry and that one industry set it up that way because they wanted it that way. Exactly. They wanted all the workers. Exactly. And then they left 
And now we're stuck here, you know, in especially now that the coal mines are once again booming because of the war in Ukraine, unfortunately. Right. We have, you know, there's the worry about unsafe mine conditions because we don't know, you know, the 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 union's not as strong as it once was, especially here in Kentucky. So the conversation around safety in the mines, and then also the conversation around just, you know, keeping having these conversations about not only safety, but also just education on how workplace diseases are still so prevalent. Because I feel like I go to talk to people that I went to high school with in a small town in Virginia, on the other side of Virginia, and I say the words black lung, and they're like, oh, that's been fixed. And I'm like, no, it's not. And so I think recognizing the fact that it is not a disease of the past, this is a disease of the current, and it is it is a disease that is worse than it's ever been before. And until right. that reality happens, and until people are standing on soapboxes in very large towns, I don't, I, I'm hopeful, you know, we've got a lot of really great spokespeople here, and we've got a lot of great friendly folks that I know want to make a change. Um, but there's always a way to get involved. And I'll, I'll just kind of plug into you that um, there's also East Kentucky Mutual Aid. So yes. the, there's still a lot of need for the flooding disaster that happened just seven months ago. In yes. um, a very real reality of folks still remaining homeless. And so I'll, I'll plug them in um, homeless housing and homeless coalition of Kentucky are doing great work as right. well. So right. both of them as well. So, um, But I, I think continuing to have this education or conversations and getting an interest in this is just that's the immediate start that is the step one and then from there you can kind of have people you know share these pages and share when we have sign-ons and share when we're having meetings and setting up their own meetings too absolutely and uh you know this is one of those like like we were talking about at the top this is one of those issues where so many people either are directly impacted by this or know somebody who's directly impacted by this, by, by black lung and other, and other issues related to safety and health, that um, that's where that kind of, at the grassroots level, that's, that's where that kind of change has to start with in, in education and conversation and talking about the problems and more importantly, talking about how, how we can fix it as, as people. Um, Courtney, thank you so, so much for your time today. I, I really appreciate you. It's been, it's been great getting to chat with you and learn about yeah. the, the, your work in this field. Um, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing on behalf of these folks in our, in our region. And uh, you're, you're welcome on again, anytime that you'd like to be. And uh, I, I really appreciate you. Yeah, I'm hopeful we'll have some new legislation later this year. So maybe I can jump on then. Absolutely. Um, and I appreciate, um, I appreciate you having us and getting to talk a little bit about the folks that I get to work with every day. So, and um, be sure when you turn a light on, just thank Cole Miner. Absolutely. All right, Courtney, thank you so much. Thank you. Good to talk to you. You too. Well, thank you guys so much for listening again this week. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And thank you as well for all that you do to support the podcast, whether you listen, follow on social media, give an encouraging word, whatever you do and however you do it to support the podcast. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to join us again next time for another episode of Appalachian Firesides. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform that you Listen on, give me your thoughts on what you'd like, what you would change, how I could do better. Just let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your all's thoughts. If you like that background music that you're listening to, that is a piece called In the Sweet By and By by a great artist named Zachariah Hickman. Be sure to check them out on YouTube. 
And don't forget to follow the podcast on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on all that's going on. I hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of Appalachian Firesides. But until then, be well, love your neighbor, and do good things. Catch you guys next time. Thank you.